ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to ATV Talk. I'm Leonard Duncan. We're with Paul Holmes. Uh, the British champion, and you can go from there on telling everybody your accomplishments. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Um, I So I'm from uh, England, and I've mainly focused on, you know, the stuff back home, so, well, home, so doing the national scene. So I've won the national championship, and then we also uh, used to do the European championship a few years ago, and I won the European championship with a couple of runner-up times and then also a huge race in Europe is Pondevo, so the 12-hour endurance event, which you're obviously familiar with. Um, I've won that three times, so that would be the main highlights of my uh, career. So when you win in the UK, the, the national title, how many times have you won that? Because there was a little glitch there that we didn't catch at all. Oh, five so you're a five-time national champion. Yeah. One time a European champion and a three-time rendezvous champion. Correct, yeah. Uh, did you ever get to race against Doug Eichner? Um, I think it was just at Pondevo. I think um, I actually went to see Doug race a few times. Um, and I think there was maybe one year when we both raced. I think it was one of my very first years. I think I actually rode for the... Uh, the Polish team. So I think I actually took the seat of Rafael Sonic when he injured his wrist and I actually rode with his two guys. So it was, um, I don't honestly remember, it was a Polish guy and then an American guy. And I think that was the only time me and Doug actually raced together. That was eight or nine in that era, uh, I believe, or maybe even a little earlier than that. I think... Could have been six, 2006, 2007. I think it was 2006, yeah, 2006, I think is, is yeah, 2006, 2007. So, and then the last time I rode it was, you know, just last year. So, you know, from 2006 to 2019, you know, I've been going back to that place, you know, not every year, like a lot of guys. Um, I did the first few years where, you know, wanted to gain that experience. And then I rode with Factory KTM with two American guys, so Adam McGill and Josh Kirkland. And you know what? We had a really good run, and you know we had a, a mechanical. And then I, I kind of um, almost, almost stepped away from doing it. Um, but then I had the opportunity to ride for Yamaha France in 2010 and 2011, and we were successful both times. So we went back to back in those years. And then when 2013 came around, I was actually leaving the national series. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, the 2012 year. Um, so we were going to go and try and do a three-peat with the same three guys riding the same team, same formula. Um, but that particular year, I was leaving the national series. And that was going to be the first time I could have, you know, I was basically leaving the national series. 
And I wanted to put all my attention on that. Um, and there was one race weekend that clashed with Pondavo. And I chose to do the national instead of the, um, instead of trying to do the three-peat. But it was kind of like a decision well made because uh, I actually won the, ser- the national series that year. So that was my first time in 2012. So tell your American listeners and, and your fans over here, what it's the, what's the biggest difference? Because you've got to race on both continents. And there's there there are drastic differences in the way that we run races and the and the terrains that we race in. Um, tell the listeners some of the things that that, that you notice in the two different uh, styles of racing. So I've never actually lined up at a national. So you know, with like Chad and Thomas and Joel, but I've been to see one, and the the tracks tend to be a little bit more um, well bigger. You know, so your lap might be you know another half mile longer than ours. Uh, the track width tends to be a few meters wider than ours. So there tends to be like a higher average speed around the track than what we have in Europe. Um, you know, the, the pace seems to be a little bit slower, but because the track's shorter, we maybe do more laps. Um, for a lot of years, we did longer races than you guys. So the tracks would tend to get a lot rougher. So it was, you know, although we're obviously trying to go as quickly as we can, probably the average speed and uh, you know would be slower and there's a lot more times where we run a higher profile tire so you know we'll be running you know almost like a gncc setup you know where we've got like 20 inch in the front uh, excuse me like 21 inch in the front 20 inch in the rear whereas you know like your atv national guys you know they're pretty much 20s and 18s uh you know all year round so but you've gotten to ride out at Glen helen they've had nationals out there you've gotten to ride a couple other places in the states and and the differences in the in the terrain, uh, you guys are a lot wetter generally than we are. Um, yeah, I mean, like I've ridden, I've ridden in California a lot, and you know I've been there all different times of the year, and it tends to be dry, like you know, eleven months of the of the year. But over here, if we get it between April and September, October, which is when our national season is on. We still have real dry races, but in the winter, just stuff you know doesn't really run. Um, the big thing over here through September till February is the beach races that we actually do. You know, like big, uh, like two-hour to three-hour endurance events. Um, we call it Latuke because it's in the town of Latuke, and it's somewhat similar to the EDV down in um, Argentina which, you know, like a mass start of like 300 riders, um, but we actually ride for like two or three hours. So, you know, you're going to get the most amount of riders doing that, you know, through the winter because all the hard pack tracks are just pretty much unusable. So do you like those uh, sand races on the beach? Yeah, they're good, yeah. I mean, there's maybe, it's now a six-round series. And, you know, you've got like the likes of Warnier, you know, Romain Capri, you know, these guys that have been killing it in Europe for a long time. They've both had success in the U.S. You know, they they grew up doing the sand stuff in the winter and the hard pack stuff in the in the summer or the national stuff in the summer. And I've had the opportunity to ride a couple of times um, and I enjoy it. It's just a different discipline, you know, because you want to train your body to be endurance rather than you know sprint speed but i like the variety uh, and i think it's something that i want to maybe once all the lockdown and everything's done this year maybe look at doing some more 
do you uh you do a lot of cycle training over there uh correct yeah i i like cycling more than you know stuff like running because it's like a low impact uh way of training and i can you know i can redline you know cycling you know get the heart rate up um you know or i can just be like a gentle you know recovery ride so like monday we had a public holiday over here and you know i went out and did like 108 miles so that was like a 6 hour 6 hour 20 you know um training session you know it wasn't all you know flat out speed wise but just kind of like building up that endurance strength and the the mental side of it is quite interesting to try and stay focused and I actually can analyze my power. So, you know, on my bike, I have um, pedals that actually tell me how much power I'm producing. So I can actually manage efforts. Uh, so it's not just how I'm feeling. I can actually know how much power I'm producing, how much, what's my average power um, and, and structure training like that. And then, you know, today it was real nice out. So me and, the, uh, me and a couple of friends met up and we went and did like uh, 67 miles today, you know, so that would be kind of like an average ride for me. That's pretty neat. The technology is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, a few years ago when I when I started, it was always, you know, you want to get back and you want to have your average speed, you know, good. You know, you want to come back and if you're on an 18 mile an hour average, you know, you're trying to get home on an 18 and a half mile an hour average, you know, because you feel like that's how good you are. That's like your speed. But the more I've learned about cycling and, you know, trained with a lot of really good guys like, I've been and done like uh, training camps in Spain with some like Team GB riders, like youth riders. And, you know, it's all about power. So it doesn't matter if it's windy. It doesn't matter if you're going uphill, downhill. Power is, you know, the wattage is something that's you can compare it from day to day. You know, I can go out on a really still day. And if I'm producing 250 watts, it you know, it's relative to the next day when even if there wasn't any wind, if I'm still producing that 250 watts, I know I'm in, you know, good form. Or if I go out and my average wattage is, you know, way lower, I know I'm, you know, lagging or I'm fatigued or I need rest or, you know, stuff like that. So it's just another, just another way of monitoring fitness and, and training instead of just, you know, looking at heart rate or your speed. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. How did Paul Holmes get introduced to ATV racing? Uh, dad, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, you know, dad was actually, you know, a really big Duncan racing fan and, you know, was really good friends with uh, one of the biggest ATV retailers over here. They were in the, you know, neighboring town, ATV world, you know, who Doug and, and John Mitchell had so much success with. Well, maybe when I was nine or 10, so, you know, over 20 years ago, you know, dad would be racing the regional series, you know, and I'd be there on the, you know, in like the kids race, me and my brother. And then, you know, you know, dad did the regional stuff. He did, um, you know, some of the beach races as well in, in England. Um, he never ventured much to do, you know, the beach races in France. However, he did do the Pont de Vaux a few times. So, you know, I was there as a kid looking at, you know, looking at the guys, you know, winning Pont de Vaux and, you know, my dad even finished eighth one year. And I was like, you know, that was to me was like an unbelievable result. And he was, he was in his 40s, you know, when he was racing. So 
it was very different to what I did, but it was definitely him that got me interested in it. And then you know, we did MX bikes for a little bit, but mainly just like seeing dad race and, and having quads as ki- uh, kids and stuff was, was how I ended up doing it. How do you guys manage the fact that everything is so compact in, in, in where you live? And like over here, I mean, in some places you can ride out your front door and go ride for days and, and never run into anybody. And over there, when I've been driving around, it's just not, uh, you just don't see it that way. There, there's too many people. It's, it's definitely tricky. I mean, we actually, we, I'm quite lucky. The farm we grew up on, or I grew up on, you know, we've got, um, and I know it doesn't sound a lot, but like we've got 10 acres of land. So as kids and stuff, you know, we always had, you know, an area to actually play on either MX bikes or trials bikes or, you know, little quads and stuff. So I've actually got a pretty cool track in the, you know, on the property. So in terms of going out of the door, pulling out the garage, you know, riding down to the track, you know, it's, it's always been an advantage and somewhere where I've done a lot of training, but I must admit, you know, that there's not as many like practice tracks and stuff like that. So you just, you just need to be clever and, you know, meet a lot of people. And I'm fortunate that I get invited to ride a lot of new tracks that open and, and, and people want to, you know, kind of have my opinion on, on the track that they're building and, you know, stuff like that. So just having good contacts in the sport and in, you know, yeah, just trying to get and ride wherever you can. And then it was always, let's just try and race every weekend. So we'd go and do regional events. We'd go and do the Scottish championship. Then it'd be a European race. Then you'd be preparing for Pondebo and just kind of riding every weekend was pretty much all you could do. There wasn't like, um, you know, Tuesday nights at milestone, you know, stuff like that. When I was growing up, it was, uh, very different. We, we, we do have some advantages. It's, it's hard in California as the, as the population grows, the tracks shrink. Um, yeah. some close, some of them get houses built on them. Uh, so we don't get to, uh, we don't get to keep them for very long. Other yeah. parts of the country have have less issue with it because they have more open open areas to, to ride on it. Um, yeah. So who are some of your fiercest competitors over there in the UK? Um, you don't have to think about it that hard. Come on. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a long time, it was, you know, obviously when I was kind of growing up, and the guys that were winning were, you know, like the likes of uh, Winrow and Mitchell. So uh, they were the guys who, you know, they were at the top of the tree when, you know, they were lapping me when I started doing the nationals. And then, you know, it took me until 2011, no, 2009, I started to win races. And then 2012, I won the national title. Um, but in, in more years, it'd be like, um, so Harry Walker, you know, he won a, he's a Duncan guy. Uh, there's Kane, um, Leon Rogers. Um, I'm just trying to think. There was Callaway, um, Carl Bunce. Um, you know, there was you know, Justin Reed. Um, wow. Um, yeah, my mind's going blank. But it was, <laughs> but John was spot, huh? Yeah, I mean, for me, I I think you know the better guys that I've raced with. You know, no disrespect to anyone in the UK, but. The best guys I've raced are always, you know, the guys that are overseas. So, you know, the likes of like Randy Naveau, um, you know, Warnier, Capri, 
you know, Jan Blamans, uh, you know, all these guys from different countries who, you know, have just been killing it for years, you know, they're still the guys to beat, you know. Um, so, like, even this year at Pont de Vaux, you know, the team that won, I mean, by a fraction, it was uh, Antoine Chalain, Andre Cesari, and Randy Neveu. You know, those, those three guys are, you know, really, you know, they were impressive this year, you know, and, and like we were, you know, they won us by like 20 seconds. But, you know, you guys, um, you guys like that and, and Warnier, you know, even when I'm not on his team, obviously he's, he's a guy that I'm trying to, you know, go out and beat at the, at the races. Um, but yeah, yeah I got to uh, watch Warnier, I got to watch Warnier race over here in the States and, and he is quite impressive. He is, he is not afraid to put a wheel in anywhere. Yeah. And it just no fear is one of the things that I got from the guy. I, yeah. I believe he could ride a Can-Am that fast, that hard for that long. Yeah. And you know what? He, he actually, you know, he rode for Yamaha for a few years and now he, he actually chose to do La Touque. So that's the biggest beach race we do uh, that, you know, that's got the most prestige, you know, the biggest prize money, the biggest entry, everything. And he actually chose to do it on a Can-Am chassis with a CRF dirt bike engine inside it. You know, he, he's got that Can-Am set up real nice for the sand. You know, he likes it. I guess it's lightweight. He's got a real good back end in it, real good front end in it, a really good balance. But he put the CRF dirt bike engine in it to get the power. You guys do a lot of that uh, hybrid stuff over there where it's, it's not illegal to run them. Over here, you have to run in an open class or a, a pro-am event something that, that, that allows the hybrid in, in like in works and in some of the other events, you're not allowed to run a hybrid. You can only run a, a factory machine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, over here, we, we kind of gone through phases. So, you know, looking at 2011, I, you know, got off the KTM because KTM stopped manufacturing the bike. And, you know, we went down the route of the hybrid. So we ran a full Lagos chassis, T-pin Lagos chassis with the dirt bike engine, uh, you know, the reverse cylinder dirt bike engine in it. And it was great. You know, that took me to my first couple of, you know, national championships. We had a lot of success on that bike, but it was just expensive to build, tough to keep up on the maintenance, um, and just hard to source parts for because there were so many bespoke items on the on the bike that, you know, sometimes you were the only guy in the paddock with that particular part. So you can't just share parts with the, you know, the guy next door. So we actually then, you know, reverted back to using the YZ 450R, you know, and now we've got really good power out of it. It's like, well, we don't really need to run the hybrid. Um, but there's still a lot of guys, you know, running the hybrid stuff. And especially in these sand races, because you, you know, you do need the power you know, that we're pulling like 23 inch tires front and rear. And, you know, some of the straights, you know, there's like the main straight might be, you know, close to a mile in length. So if you can win 10, 15 seconds on the guy every time going up the mile straight, you, you know, it's actually tough to beat them. Um, but in, in my eyes, I'm, I'm like super happy with the YZ 450R now, uh, even though I get like zero backing from Yamaha that's still the bike I choose to use. Uh, and I don't bother with the hybrid thing anymore. Are the factories doing anything for anybody over there? Um, not in the UK. Um, it hasn't, it's been like that for a few years now. Um, I think in France, there's maybe a couple of guys getting some, getting some support, but I know, um, 
you know, a lot of the time Yamaha want you to run the decals and then if you if you win while running the decal, they'll give you a bonus. But right. you can you can run their stuff all year long, not win, and you're gonna get a zero. So in my opinion, I, w- I would rather, you know, show off and um, uh, kind of like, you know, spread the word of, you know, all the people that do help me, you know, so I would rather their names, you know, take high priority of placement on, on the graphics and on the clothing and all stuff like that, because they're the guys that have actually helped me get to that race, you know, when Yamaha just want to, you know, take the, you know, cherry off the top of the cake when you actually win, and then they can say, oh, yeah, that's one of our guys. So, um yeah, I, I mean, it's tough because I, I think only, you know, Yamaha will help probably just a couple of guys in the States too, right? Right. That's that's about it. Yeah. You know, most of them are back East. The West Coast yeah. don't get too much help at all. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's fan-based or, or, or numbers-based. Uh, the numbers seem to be picking up here in the West Coast a little bit. We'll yeah. see how it goes in the future. Yeah. It, it, it's it, It's kind of tough, I think. The last time the factories came through, they made it a little tougher on the independents to work with some of the riders. They all seem to be thinking that they deserve more than they do, should get. Right. You know, I mean, uh, we deserve money. We deserve product. Well, you know, not all the independents can afford to give you money or product. Sometimes they can barely get you the product. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is business. Yeah. yeah and it, it's tr- It's real tough. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to have like, you know, a lot of good help and for a long time, you know, and a lot of, a lot of the people that have supported me, it's like, you know, you don't even need to discuss kind of like, you know, the sponsorship thing at the end of the year. It's like, well, you know, if you were happy with me and I'm happy with you, you know, you know, let's just let this thing keep rolling and, and, and you'd be on the same kind of um, support package. But yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how much support you've got you've just got to appreciate probably every every bit of help you you're getting you know and hopefully you know one day you know you'll get an, another good deal and and it'll help you know the, the years where you didn't get as much you know but it's uh yeah it's tricky i think it's tricky everywhere you do do you offset some of your uh travel expenses and, and race expenses with uh riding classes or things like that you know training other riders helping them some of the younger guys, maybe. Yeah, I mean, so with, with me having the track on on the on at the house, I uh, I'll also do like bike setup for people. So not just like rider training, you know, where people pay me to to train them for the day, and obviously I can kind of like save that money and kind of like keep that money in a pot that will help me go racing. But I'll also do bike setup. So you know, certain guys, you know struggle to even get like the caster camber and toe in and ride height and get the shock set correctly. And, uh, you know, just these adjustments that I've had to do myself for the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years, whatever, you know, a lot of guys, you know, still struggle with that. So, you know, they can bring the bike to me. Sometimes I'm spending two thirds of the day in the garage, you know, adjusting this, adjusting this, um, and get it good on the on the stand, as it were, you know, and on the garage floor, making sure everything's you know even and set and, and nice ride height. Uh, and then you know, then we hit the track, and a lot of guys are saying like it's a huge transformation of the bike. So, um, so you know, earning money like that definitely helps for the racing. And then I'll ho- I'll host a handful of like group rider training events per year. And again, you know, if I can make any money out of it it just goes straight back into, you know, helping me get to the races or 
help me train, uh, you know, get to the practice track and train to actually, you know, eventually then get to the race. Um, so you, you kind of keep it all in that pot, as it were. What do you do for a living? For for to 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 feed yourself and to, to you know to have a to have a regular life. So yeah, I mean, a lot of people do think all I do is ATV racing because you know social media and stuff like that. You know, all they see is you know the 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 fun stuff, you know, the cool stuff. But the uh, you know the the reality is you know when I turned nineteen, you know I'd left college, uh, I'd got my you know, qualification in you know graphic design, and, and I wanted to do something with that. So. I actually started working for a signage company, very unglamorous signage company um, in the you know in the local town, and you know we do signage and vehicle graphics, advertisement, you know um, brochure designs, you know this kind of thing. Um, it was a very small company, and the boss was very supportive. So, you know he you know if I said to him, oh you know I need to have Thursday Friday off work to go to Portugal or whatever. He'd be saying, "Oh, well, whereabouts?" You know, and he'd, he'd Google it, and you know, get me the weather report, and you know, he used to kind of like pat me on the back, you know, when I'd come back with a trophy and and stuff, and just a really cool guy. Um, so I actually started that when I was nineteen. So, um, so I'm thirty two now. So like twelve years I did working for this guy, and then unfortunately he actually passed away last year. So my colleague and I actually bought the business. Um, and kind of like, you know, we're in the same unit, uh, got the same customer base. We just rebranded and, um, you know, doing it independently because, you know, it was part of a franchise. So, you know, now I'm actually running the place. It's, it's a little bit different. And sometimes it requires a little bit more hours and I'm probably not taking as much time off. But, um, yeah, it's been going really good. Uh, and in fact, on the 1st of June will be our first full year of trading which is quite exciting. That's awesome. How, how has the lockdown affected you guys and your business? So, you know, I think everyone went, you know, incredibly quiet at the beginning uh, and we were no different, you know, I mean, it was kind of, they, they said to us over here that if you cannot work from home, then, you know, you can still work, but you've got to, you know, practice social distancing. So because it was only a very small workforce, we just kind of like separated ourselves around the office, you know, either ones in production, you know, ones in the, in the design studio and, and ones in the vehicle bay or whatever. Um, you know, we were fine. You know, we, we never, we never had any issue, you know, touch wood, but we, we just noticed everyone put everything on hold because no one knew with the uncertainty and, you know, maybe the first three, four weeks were like that. And then when people started to, you know, come to realize actually, you know, my business is, is going to open back up in a few weeks. I want to be prepared. So in terms of making signage to tell customers, hey, keep two meters apart um, or, you know, please wash your hands here or, you know, sanitize your hands here or, you know, we are now open or we're having a closing down sale. Anything like this, it's all advertisement. So we actually, you know, we've seen, you know, our sales skyrocket in the last couple of weeks with um all this COVID-19 signage I mean we're, we're working for you know local schools that are trying to you know they're, they're preparing the place so children you know can come back into the school so there's new signs going up all around the school to remind the kids to stay you know apart from each other and this is where the parents can go this is where the parents can't go 
all the way to inside factories that produce tea bags um, or cakes. We work for a really good couple of local businesses and, you know, they've got close to 400 members of staff. Well, they've never sold as much tea. They've never sold as many online cakes. So these guys have full capacity on manufacturing. So they need to remind their staff all the time, hey, you know, stand two meters apart from the next guy. So we've actually been putting like floor decals down. I don't know how it is over there, but stuff like that's been, you know, like, um, you know, we're just mass producing it now. It's, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a little crazy over here with the, the mask wearing and the social distancing. And we've been very fortunate in the area that we live in that it's been less affected and, and our business doesn't cater to walk in travel per se. We get yeah. a fair amount, but I don't have, you know, four or five people in the showroom at the same time. It's usually yeah. one or two and, and uh, they're pretty good about wearing their mask or social distancing or, or we walk outside and in, in the parking lot and talk you yeah. know, where it's a, 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 the breeze is blowing and you're, and you're a little safer or supposedly safer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. However, however you want to believe whatever guy you're listening to, which day. Um, yeah. So we've been very fortunate. I mean, in February, our new store opened up and, and um, the floodgates hit. I mean, we just, we just, couldn't process the orders fast enough. And okay. Some of our manufacturing, uh, our chromine became an issue because they were locked down. Yeah. Some of our manufacturing where we're welding parts together, things that got hit pretty hard because they, they couldn't work. Um, but for the most part, life as we knew it, you know, other than standing in line at the grocery store sometimes. It yeah. Was, I mean, my wife worked full time. She kept working. I kept working. Um, our youngest child of five, uh, had a little disruption in, in, in employment, but, uh, that starts up again here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, my son lives in Idaho and he's all good. And my daughter lives down the street and, uh, she's pregnant. So I didn't get to be there for the birth of my fifth grandchild, but uh, you, you know, you adapt and, and yeah. it, everything just keeps going, but we're, we're talking about us over here and I, and and I and I set this up to talk about Paul Holmes and and not about not about COVID-19 and and the craziness in in, in the United States. Yeah. So, when you go back and you start thinking about your races and and things that uh I know you were really close with your dad and and uh Lauren and I reached out when uh, when he passed and and um I know it's still probably a touchy thing for you and and it always will be. Um you got anything that you can tell us about some really great moments in Paul Holmes' life with his dad racing, you know, some memories that uh, maybe uh, winning that first championship, maybe uh, uh, just a race that uh, maybe you end up sitting on the side of the track because something happened, but it, but it was a, a memory that, that sticks with you forever. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think of a good, you know, like maybe the best one, but, they're all good. Yeah, all, all, all the way through. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, you know, now looking back, they're all good. But even, you know, take it back to kind of 2000 and uh, I think it was 2005 where, you know, we, we, we said I was racing dirt bikes more than, more than ATVs. And there was um, a, a local bike mechanic. He, you know, he was a, a bike mechanic for a local dealership. And I think the brand was Vita. 
and you know he was like hey you know we, we wanted to try these bikes but, you know i was pretty good on a dirt bike i was never gonna you know you know be a national champion or anything but i was pretty good and you know we we you know they gave us these beaters and we went racing and you know unfortunately i i actually blew my knee out pretty bad like tore all the acl ligaments in my knee you know i kind of like you know got lifted off the track and I didn't want to, you know, go into the truck and, and, you know, just think about it. You know, me and dad sat on the sideline and, you know, we watched the restart, you know. So even a really tough time where I was injured and then obviously, sure enough, once the pain set in, uh, set in and the adrenaline wore off, you know, that was kind of like, you know, why, why didn't we just rush to hospital? You know, it was kind of like, no, no, I want to I I see the race. I want to see the race, you know, and, you know, that's the race I should be in. And, okay, I've hurt myself, but you know, sod it, you know, let's just sit here and watch it, you know, because I had friends in the race and stuff. So, you know, that was, that was like obviously a rough time, but, you know, even that I look back on it and, and, and say it was a good memory. Um, probably one of the best was in 2009. Uh, so we were doing the, the European Championship and we were fortunate enough to have, um, you know, a really good sponsorship with KTM. So we didn't even have to, you know, prepare the bikes or buy the bikes, anything. Everything, all, everything was funded they delivered the bikes to the track uh, everything and that was not unheard of back then but it was it was rare unless you were running for a you know a team which was attached to a dealership or something like that but this was ktm uk you know giving us the budget and you know the team manager you know he he hired the the mechanic and everything and he delivered the, the bikes to the track so that particular year, I mean, I did have a good national run, but we had a couple of bike problems, which cost me this series. But the main one was the European. And, you know, we took this unproven KTM, its first year of production, and I won every single round of the European Championship that year. Wow. And, you know, that's never been done. And, I mean, it probably will be done again, but... All, back then, it was um, we did three races a day, and it was a six-round championship. So you know, we did eighteen motos for the for the championship, and I podiumed every single moto. So back then, and I, I don't think they do it anymore. But after each moto was a podium um, ceremony. You come off the track, you're top three. You're standing on the box every single moto. It was. You know, it was it was it was strange, but it was just the way they did it. You know, we were racing in Poland, Latvia, uh, Germany, every everywhere, and you finished the race in the top three. You stood on the box for that particular moto. It was it was cool. Um, and you were on you know, the box we, every moto. Every moto, they made like a big thing. You know, you know about it, each moto, and I, um, I actually I think there was maybe one round where we where we didn't do it but it was just some of these countries you know like poland and and, and places i'm sure we did it you know and it was every moto and i actually stepped on the box every single race out of the 18. You have. so my worst result was a third and i had one of them so everything else was either a win or a second and i won every overall so that to me obviously you know, dad wasn't preparing the bikes anymore. All dad was doing was, you know, we were traveling to the track together, you know, with mom or, you know, a friend or whatever. So we traveled there, you know, it was cool because, you know, we didn't have to stress about preparing the quad or wash the quad or, or nothing. Dad just helped me, 
you know, we'd walk the track together, you know, whatever. And, and we saw a full year of, of success. And I had such a good run that I actually won the championship with a full round to go. So that was three motos left. But, you know, I still won it. And, you know, I've got a really good picture of, um, of my dad, you know, with his, you know, like number one shirt on and, and, and stuff like that, that he got straight out of his backpack and, you know, he had his shirt on and, you know, like you see the top guys have and they might have the whole team wearing the same T-shirt. Well, you know, back then it was a very small effort, but, you know, dad had his T-shirt on and, and, and we'd done it, we'd won it, you know, and it was, it, it, we did it in, in style too, you know, we did it in a, in a really good way. So, um, and then maybe another top memory would be uh, the first national championship that I won. So, you know, you know, dad just raced regionally. So to see his kid win nationally, and he, we were preparing the bikes at this time. You know, we, we were building the late grades. It was, you know, our development. It was our, uh, the way we wanted to do it, using the tires we wanted to use, using, you know, this and this. And basically building our, like, dream bike that was going to go out and, and help me win the nationals. And that's what everyone does, you know. Um, some people can't do that if they're in a tie-in with a sponsor, but we did it our way. And then, uh, you know, we won... Uh, back-to-back national championships, uh, which was which was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, they, they'd be the they'd be the highlights. The first national championship win, the first European championship win. Um, you know, and then you know even getting injured, but we would you know we'd always go to the races together. Um, he wouldn't necessarily come to all my overseas races, but everything this side of the pond, he he was there. Yeah. So, so some really fun deep deep-rooted memories there with you and your dad racing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you had a tough go last year. You had an injury, um, and it, it affected your result. How are you now? Are you fit? Are you ready to race? I'm good. Um, the So, yeah, I mean, I, I went to the first round of the Nationals last year, really prepared. I mean, I even I spent a month in the U.S., so, you know, I – the last few years and, and the years that I did really well, I, I kind of, you know, up sticks, Kent, California for a few weeks. And I actually did a month there um, before, before last year's campaign trained with, you know, Thomas Brown, the Ford brothers, you know, we, you know, we went to town on the preparation. It was, you know, I went in really good. We won the opening round, you know, pretty dominantly. Uh, I went three, one, one. And, you know, we were in a good place, like, uh, you know, felt confident. The bikes were really good, um, you know, super happy with the, the, the little improvement we made on the year before. And then I went to round two and a guy hit me in a corner. And and that was it, you know, upside down, you know, like even I think I even like landed in a tree or something, you know, so I was pretty, it all happened a bit fast. And, you know, I sustained a big injury to my lower back and my leg. So, you know, it was straight to hospital x-rays you know walking around on crutches for a few days you know um it was pretty tough and it took a long time to to really heal um and i missed so many rounds of the series and it it kind of didn't it didn't make any sense to just go back when i wasn't fully ready so i prepared and did pond you know we wanted to try and you know be another back-to-back winner at pond because I was the reigning champion with my team. So we went and we, we missed out by about 30 seconds to, to another French team. So, uh, you know, I went in, I was good. And, 
you know, we finished second, you know, so I was in a good place. Then um, I had a pretty good winter, you know, rested the body a lot. Um, you know, the bikes were all good and, and everything like that. And, and everything just got put on hold with the, with the COVID stuff. So you haven't even um, raced around yet. No, nothing. I mean, you know, like I know you guys got like, uh, you know, you, you're able to get like the odd GNCC in and, and works race and even you had Daytona, whereas our national series doesn't start till like April. So we were um, literally we were in lockdown and everything just got put on hold. Uh, I've been told that Pondavo won't happen this year. Um, you know, uh, a, a lot of the beach races have been cancelled and, you know, they're, they're like September, October, November. So for me now, it's kind of like just choose the time to, you know, rest, um, train, you know, just off the bike, basically. Um because you can, not not so much. I find a little bit of time away from from the racing is is good. You know, even if I have a few months off, I can come back and you know get in a good place pretty quickly. So that works. You get you excited for it. Get you excited to go riding again. Yeah, I mean passion and the love for it. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not you know 19 anymore and and going with dad. You know, who's paying for everything? You know, uh, you know, and I'm not you know, like seeing other kids at the race and kind of having it more of a social experience, which, you know, I feel a lot of the kids have it, you know, nowadays they almost choose that as their social, uh, socializing, you know, for the, for the week or for the year is at these events. Well, for me, it's, it's almost the opposite for me. You know, I go to work on a weekend and, and that's where it's, you know, I mean, I don't really, you know, drink or, or, or anything like that, but it was, you know, early to bed we're going to do a job there was no i mean we were we, you know we had fun you know me and the guys it was a very close group of my brother and stuff like that but it's kind of like if i'm investing all this money all this time we're going to win we're not going to get second place and it it was less of a social experience or, or social experiment if you like it was more of a i'm going there to do a job and that's it um you know i fly in i fly out or whatever depending on where i am um and we're going just try and do the best I can and I've prepared myself the best I can but I think you know now I'm maybe a little bit older I do need that little bit of a time off sometimes to get the bug again to think oh I really want to go and do it and I'm really you know I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and um, so I think I think it's going to be fine for me to have some time off. I don't think that you even understand what age has to do with any portion of it yet you're still pretty young yeah, well, I I am. I mean, I'm 32, and it, I definitely have a different outlook on it to when I was 19 and 20. But I, I know what you're saying. You were indestructible <laughs> when you were 19 and 20. Uh, now, now you realize that you're a mortal man, and and it hurts. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, I've been traveling to the races for a long time, and and I wouldn't have done it for all the years that I did if I didn't love it. And I've been a little away some this year due to family issues, but um, if I get the opportunity to go back, I'll probably really, really enjoy it. It's, it's, yeah. it's part of your, who you are and those, those people at the races are your family. And, and uh, you know, I have some really good friends there and I miss them and mm. it's what it is. But yeah, I, I get what you're talking about rejuvenation and, uh, you know, being in my fifties, it's, it, it's not as easy to get up and, and work, those days at the at the race because 
I didn't ever did it. I never did it as a hobby. I always did it. It's my job. This is what I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here to provide a service for an individual or multiple individuals. And uh, you just have to be at your, be on your game. It's kind of like being at the shop all week. You don't get to let down. You don't get to sit down and not tighten that bolt or look at that, look at that axle carrier because this is what you're here for. You know, yeah. make sure to do your best always. And sometimes your best wasn't good enough because you still have mistakes or, or things still happen. Yeah, no, it is. Um, it is. And it's interesting. And I think, uh, you know, you know, even if stuff does start back up in the UK, uh, I'll, I'll kind of assess each event that's going to go ahead. Um, and, you know, and I'm never going to go to something if I'm not a hundred percent prepared. I mean, I, I did hurt myself before Pond Like So even though I had some time off the Nationals and I was focused on Pond I got hurt just before Pond So I wasn't 100%, but I still went and did it. And I think uh, I'm just going to like pick and choose what I want to do in the next whatever six months of this year. And, you know, really, you know, just go and do something if I'm going to really enjoy it, um, if I am 100% ready for it. And then, you know, and, and just take a, take a rethink and, and see what I want to do next year. I mean, I'm not tied into anything or um, or anything like that. You know, I don't have any sponsors that are kind of, you know, asking questions on, on, on you know, what, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to be. They're all pretty good, um, and they they trust my judgment on on what events I want to do, and um, and I'll update them. You know, once once I I know a little bit more about what's what's open and, and what's available for me to to do. You know, you're probably going to use it more of a testing training year, and and come back next year uh, full bore, ready to rock and roll, huh? Yeah, I I, I think so. I think that's the way it's going to go. Um, I mean. I honestly don't know what's going to even happen this year, you know, here, because I know the, like even the Supercross over in the States is starting up tomorrow, which to me, that's, we're so far away from doing stuff like that here that um, I honestly don't see anything happening until, you know, August, September. So it's kind of, um, you know, just go and ride and enjoy riding, you know, and then, uh, especially in the summer, it is pleasurable, whereas sometimes in the winter, it can suck, you know, you've got to go and put that time in and it's cold and, and stuff. But I, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, there's a few parts on the bikes that I want to try and I've got some new stuff, which I'm really excited to, to test and try and you know, some of my sponsors have got like new things that are coming out, you know, that we're, you know, we're going to make announcements on a few bits and pieces. And I'm still excited. I'm still excited about that stuff. And I feel that, you know, if I can make the quads 10% better than last year or even 5% better, then it's going to put me in an even better position because, you know, my body's in a good place right now and, and fitness is good and, and mentally I'm there. So I think uh, I can have success, you know, once, once everything starts to open back up again, it's just kind of when. It, bringing up the mental portion of it is huge because if you're mentally not there, if you're mentally tired, it drastically affects you can be in the greatest physical shape of your life and mentally be tired and not be able to perform a, at your highest level. I think, oh. I think so, so much of racing or uh, motorsports of any kind or any athletics is, is mental. If you don't have the mental aspect down, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a huge part of it. 
you know, and a lot of people either suffer with, um, you know, they lack confidence or, um, you know, these things. But I think I'm, I'm quite good at knowing what I need to do to prepare and, and, and how I need to get myself mentally ready for it. So even if, even if that means I need to put in a certain amount of cycling or I need to put in a certain amount of hours doing this or I need to do a certain amount of, um, you know, time sessions on the track, I'm kind of, I've tried this, I've tried this, and I'm fortunate to, to pretty much know when I'm in a good place and what I need to do to feel like I'm in a good place. And then I can line up and feel like, uh, you know, I'm the only guy that's going to win this race. So I think it is a huge part of it. And it, it, I try and help riders with that too, but it's, uh, it's somewhat everyone just kind of, you know, um, figures out in their own time, I guess. It's very difficult to teach mental toughness yeah. and mental focus. Uh, I'm sure there's people out there that know more about it than I do. Mm-hmm. But your inner drive to get up and do the work, to be prepared to go sit on the line with the fastest guys in your country and, and look down the line both ways and go, I got this. Yeah. That, that That's a special kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't. But, you can't, it, it, but it's. It's important because, you know, what we're doing, you know, dangerous. And, uh, you know, there was, you know, I know, you know, a few years ago it was, it was a different story than, than what it is now. But, uh, you know, there was a few years ago where I kind of, I was so confident that it didn't, I didn't even care if I didn't get a good start. You know, and it was, it was bizarre. You know, I'd know that uh, even if I have a tangle with a guy in the first quarter, because, you know, that stuff happens. I knew that, you know, I can come from the back and, and still win. You know, there was even a time when, you know, we did t- two or three of us guys got caught up in the first corner and I still went on to win the moto. But it was, I was so, you know, you know, mentally ready for anything to have happened and, and still come out on top. Whereas, you know, now it's a little bit different. When you're super confident in your machine and you're super confident in yourself and you know you've done the work, on and off the track, nothing's going to stop you. I mean, uh, I've got to see things like that with other riders and and experience it myself, not with me racing, but with my rider going out and doing things that I never could have imagined them doing. Mm. I mean, that's one of the great things about being in this sport. I've seen, I've seen normal men or young men or boys do things that you never thought possible as they ride to the dust or, or clear a jump that's not supposed to be cleared on a quad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, but that's that's kind of it, that's it's a unique sport, you know, like that. I've never really been involved in a sport that you know any other sport like that, you know, like. I'm really interested in cycling. I feel like I'm a pretty good cyclist, but I've never wanted to go and line up and, and race a cycling bike, you know, whereas, um, you know, whereas the court, it's kind of like, it was like, oh yeah, we're, we're training because we're going to go and do a race next weekend. You know, so this is, you know, I've never, I've never, you know, played for a football team or I've never played, you know, uh, a tennis game, you know, in like a competition or anything like that, you know, other than being a kid. This is kind of like the only thing I know is, you know, motocross and, and, and ATV racing. And it's, uh, it's been a fun, been a fun ride. Excuse the pun. 
well, you're, you're accredited champion. You're, I think that you'd do pretty well if you came and raced in the States. I, I, we'd love to see that happen. I'm sure that there's, there's quite a few guys over here in the States that'd like to see it happen too, just to, to know how good you really are. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. They, maybe they've gotten to, to, to race in your world and, and gotten a, a bitter taste because you, you, you taught them what it was. You, you know, it's, it's really quite interesting because I think, if, you know, I've had the opportunity to go and ride, you know, uh, you know, the national stuff, you know, even if it was just a couple of races, but I, again, it's all about knowing you are going to be, you know, the best guy that's going to line up for me. And, you know, it's, it'd be so daunting to, you know, rock up like a week before a national, try a new bike for the first time, go to a brand new track and then try and race against, you know, Thomas Brown or, you know, Chad or Joel. I think just mentally it, it'd be so difficult to overcome. Whereas, you know, a few years ago, you know, rewind the clock a few years and I was lining up at Pont Neveu and, you know, um, you know, I raced against Thomas. So back in 2010, 2011, you know, when we actually won the race, Thomas was pitting uh, a few a few rows up from me. And I, you know, I'm like a huge fan of his. And it didn't care what I'd done in Europe. I'm still a huge fan of what Thomas is doing because, you know, Thomas back then was still one of the top four guys. You know, I can't remember exactly where he was finishing. But, um, you know, and then, you know, we were, we were like racing each other on the track and he was on a new bike. I was on, okay, not exactly my bike, but, and then fast forward uh, five or six years and I actually went up to his pits in Daytona. I'm like, hey, Thomas, I don't know if you remember me, He's like, heck yeah, you passed me at Pont Neveu, you know, and we had this, we both remembered the exact time and, and, and the exact place where, you know, we were probably going back and forward at, at the racetrack. And, and it's interesting, you know, and he, he'll remember that probably forever. And, you know, I certainly will. And then, uh, you know, what I'm trying to think, 2000 and, uh, 2017, you know, me and Chad went head to head at Pont Neveu. So these races like Pond of O are the only time where I've actually had an opportunity to, you know, just straight up go and race these guys. Um, and, you know, I have my own. I mean, they're probably still better, but I don't think I'm too bad. I, I think that in an environment that is neither his nor yours is a great measuring stick to see how good you guys are. And, and Pond of is a hard judge because there's so many variables. The, the, the oh, way yeah. you set up, you know, if your your teammates have faltered, or if there's been something else go on that that you can't control, tire wear, bad pit stops, whatever the case may be, you know, beans that uh, you know I have quite a history over there myself. I I love that place. It's it's probably one of the. I said this when I was talking to Danny Prather a, a few episodes ago. Two greatest races I've ever raced: Vegas Torino and Pontevedra. Yeah. It's a, un it's a really unique race. And I think just because I used to go there as a kid and watch dad race, it's always had a real fond memory. So, you know, we've got a trophy, you know, obviously I've got a few trophies, you know, in, in the, in the living room and stuff. And, you know, I've actually got, you know, dad's trophy from Pond of O and, you know, and, and mine sat right next to it kind of thing, you know, and it's really quite, that's unique. You know, not many people have, have, uh, can say they've done that. Um, it's always been interesting. Like I've probably raced against way more people at stuff like Pont Neveu um, because it enables people to come over and, and just, you know, all race at the same track and stuff. I mean, 
I never, I, in fact, I did race against Joel, um, I think back in 2010, 2011. And then we actually teamed up together with, so it was me, Adam McGill and, and Joel. Um, I mean, two of my favorite riders ever, I actually got to team up with. And out of all three of us, you know, I was a double champion, you know, two-time champion. But to me, they were the best two guys in the team. You know, I wasn't, they were. And, you know, we all went out and, and we put on a good show, but, you know, the bike let us down, unfortunately. But it was um, just riding with them, you know, okay, yeah, I mean, we, we want to go and win, but that experience and the friendship made and, and stuff will, will last forever, you know? That's why you're the man you are, because when you take in my opinion, guys that aren't champions in that world and you are, and you're telling me that they're, they're the faster guys or they're maybe the better guys. That's why I think so highly of you. And that's why I think so many of your fans think so highly of you because when you displace yourself and become a fan and you're the guy, you're the champion, you're the former champion and, and you're telling you're, stepping back to these other gentlemen that are maybe a first or a second time guy there, maybe never won it before and, and looking at their greatness. And, and that's pretty awesome. I know what it is to be a fan of ATV racing and I am in, I'm in awe of the racers that I've raced with the racers that came before me and the racers that I get to watch today. I really enjoy you guys. And I just, uh, I can't express to you how much I enjoy hearing the stories. I've gotten to to see you ride some, not a lot, but some, and I've got to hear stories from my brother Lauren and other guys that have ridden against you. and And you're impressive. You you have a a, a great lineage, and uh, your legacy will last uh, quite a while in the UK and over in Europe. So don't ever sell yourself short. Ah, no, it, it's not so much that. It's um you know when you're all riding the same bit of equipment and i mean don't get me wrong that particular year i i felt honored to be ha you know have those guys on the team but it was uh i don't know maybe just that kind of you know we were all riding you know they might have felt more comfy on the bike or maybe the handlebar positioning was more suited to you know one of the other guys and i was just kind of like you know let's just run it how how you want to run it um, you know, and then like our lap times, you know, they, they were beating my average lap time, you know, by, you know, a second or two. So to me, they were the better guy, you know, on that bike, on that track. And, you know, and they are the better guy, you know, because they, in terms of, you know, that's their career, you know, I've done pretty good about, you know, working a, you know, a, a regular night, nine to five, if you want to call it that. Um, whereas they've kind of like been able to, to do it as a full-time career, the racing, it was still fun to race with them, and um, but yeah, of course, you know, I held them, you know, on a on a on a bit of a mantle. But you know, then we were still, you know, like messing around and stuff, you know, in the pits. But we were there to do a job, and we did pretty good. But the bike let us down, um, and I'd, I'd like to do it all over again with with those guys. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of hard work to get the logistics all taken care of to get everybody mm. together. We do have a mutual friend that speaks pretty highly of you, uh, Raphael Sonic. You've done oh, some, yeah. you've done some training with him and, and and helped him in his riding and 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 got him to a higher level in his in his form of racing, which is uh, endurance. And the endurance stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
the first time I met Raffle was, um, so it was through ATV World. And when I rode Pondevo for the first time, he, I think it was, uh, you know, a recommendation from a friend. And I was a fill-in because he, he broke his wrist. So I was a fill-in rider. And, it, you know, it was, it was great to, to be able to, to, to jump in there and, and, and help these guys out because it's a tough race to do with two. So, you know, I filled in and, you know, I was that third guy, but, you know, I held my own even though I was maybe like 16. And then I remember uh, Rathel came over to uh, one of the regional races. So it wasn't even a national. He came over to one of the regionals with, with one of his Polish riders. And I guess they were doing a bit of training over here and they just wanted to, you know, do as many races as they could and travel around doing some, you know, before the Polish season uh, started. And I remember you know, them being quite, you know, impressed with, you know, what we were doing uh, and the pace we had because he, he might have been the fastest guy in Poland at the time. He came over here and he was like, wow, you know, he had his eyes open, you know, by you know, me and um, a few of the, the top regional guys that showed up that day. But it was, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I saw Rafael, you know, at the Dakar, you know, I've had the opportunity to go and work at the Dakar helping riders. Uh, I've never actually done it myself, but I've been in, and, and helped riders and, um, and helped, you know, get riders, um, you know, physically ready and then, you know, try and get them mentally ready and, and, and stuff like that using my experiences. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to go a few times and, and um, I got to go with Raphael on the first year and, oh, buddy, was that an experience all on its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, Raphael, you know, we, we so we're, you're in the bivouac and you know they they had you know their way of doing it you know i mean we you know we were riding for you know well my guy was riding um for a smaller team and it was like as soon as that session was done bam hotel whereas rafael chose to be sleep in the bivouac you know the mechanic would prepare the bike outside his truck whereas you know when when i was there my guy was like nah i want to go to the hotel so it, it was a little bit different, but I probably spent more time in the bivouac than, than my rider did because I wanted to be there. I wanted to be with the quad. I wanted to be um, helping get it ready for the next day. Or, um, you know, I, I used to go to the, uh, I can't remember what they call them now, but the um, basically the, the meeting where you discuss the next day. So the right. format, collect the road book. You know, I was the guy that stayed at the bivouac, you know, did, did all that stuff. Um, yeah, I'd sleep in a tent at the bivouac sometimes, you know, or even on the front seat of the car, whatever. Um, you know, whereas the rider kind of, um, you know, wanted to be away from the bivouac, you know, have a, a better night's sleep and, and sleep in a hotel. It was, um, but I obviously got to live that side of it too. You know, I did sleep in a hotel a few nights, but that is a one heck of an experience. No matter which way you do it, that's a crazy race. Uh, I, I've slept on the... I've slept on the dirt next to the quad. Um, I've slept, you know, on the ledge of one of the man trucks because you didn't want to sleep on the dirt wherever you were yeah, yeah. at in that specific the, spot. The, the sides fold down and you, and, and you collect all the tools and stuff. Yeah, I slept on there too. Yeah, and you just, you just make do. And, you know, if you don't go and get in that shower, as soon as, you, as soon as you get to the bivouac, if you're not in line to take a shower, if you wait four or five hours, it's not a very pleasant experience. So yeah, you may not get a shower that day. Yeah. It's not even worth it. <laughs> oh, there's just, Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. you, you, you figure it out in a big hurry. I didn't figure out some of this stuff till my second time around. Okay. 
my first year, you know, I think I went the first nine days before I got a shower. Wow. Yeah, it was horrible, you know, and, and because we were learning, you know, and we had a French team build the bike or the, the French guys built the bike and brought it over there to Argentina and, and I fly in, the parts didn't show up until the night before the race. So we didn't have time to test anything. We didn't have time to prep anything. Uh, we went to a warehouse out in the middle of nowhere to pick up our tires and then come to find out didn't have enough truck space to haul it all. You know? Wow. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a crazy thing. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I obviously went back two more times, once with Raphael, once with another rider. Uh, and it was, it, you know, I'd go back in a heartbeat. It's, it, it's an experience that you can't, you can't express enough to somebody until they get to live it. What it yeah. is. Yeah. It's the I, same. Mean, I, I, I mean, I worked for uh, Mohammed Abouisa and, you know, we, you know, we made, we became friends when he was over in England studying because he, you know, he, he chose to do all his university uh, studies in the UK. And, you know, um, we, we became friends and he, he wanted to go and do some training. So, you know, I, he came and trained at my house. We went to France together and we went training there. Then once his um, degree was done, he asked me to go over to Qatar to to kind of uh, help him prepare for his uh, national series over there. And obviously I, I took the opportunity, you know, with two hands, you know, packed the bag, you know, flew over there and it, it was a great experience. And then, when he'd signed up to do the Dakar, he was like, right, you know, we're going to Dakar in four or five months. You know, I want you to, you know, be here and help me prepare. So, you know, up sticks, you know, took a load of unpaid leave off work, but went and lived in Qatar and just lived with this guy every day, right? We're up at 9 a.m. or, you know, 8 a.m. We're going to, you know, do the gym in the morning and then we're going to cycle in the afternoon. You're going to sleep in an altitude tent on evenings. Um, you know, you're going to, you're having, you know, we did like a body stat analysis, you know, once once a week, so we can see his, you know, muscle to um, fat ratio and everything. I mean, it was a huge learning curve. You know, I'm not a personal trainer, but I'm a quad rider who trains for quad riding. So we we worked together, and you know, and the guy did well. I mean, he, he had a mechanical, but that whole three, four, I think it was like five months actually preparation before going out to Dakar. It was um, all part of the experience for me um, and, and learning and, and then obviously living in the bivouac and, and, and this huge roller coaster and you can only drive at 57 miles per hour in the car, you know, between, you know, stages. And it, it was just, um, you know, pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah, I think I think I got a stinged a couple of times because I was speeding, not, not, not realizing, hey, what's that beeping noise, you know? Yeah, hey, slow down. You know, too late. Ding. You know, there was there was a guy who uh, I'm not going to give the rider's name or the driver's name, but he he was so funny. He his son was racing, and you know he had his um, his friends in in one car, and they had they actually took the unit out of one car and then put it in the other car. So this car had two of the the little yellow boxes. Right, and the dad would then sleep in an extra couple of hours, and he would haul ass 
and basically they would have given him the location because they'd got there, so they didn't need to follow the, the route that the Dakar wanted. And he'd just hold ass there and he'd do these journeys in like you know an hour less than everyone. It was so funny. Um, <laughs> but you know, he, he couldn't handle, you know, driving at like fifty miles per hour, you know, and, and, and worried about it um dinging. I mean, for those people who are listening that, that don't know what we're talking about, basically you have um, a GPS system inside the car. So all we was, uh, we were a support car. That's all it was. But to stop our cars from speeding, to, so to obviously be safe, and when we're going through all these um, these random little villages to keep things safe, they limited our speed. So whatever this yellow box on the dashboard said was our speed, that was the speed you had to go. If you spent five, if you went five miles per hour more than what was on the yellow box for like five seconds, well, your guy was getting a penalty. And uh, it was just one of just one of the things that you had to uh, to do and to live. Um, so yeah, anyone out there that's got the opportunity to go and do the car, then one hundred percent should do it. You know, I mean, I, I complained a little bit about some of the things that went on, and and after I got home and got to reflect on it, you know, if you really if you really think about the rules and the way they put it together and the why they do that. Yeah, the, the the liaison before or after, that's part of the race. If you yep. have trouble and you're not prepared for it, you're the one that fails. Not yep. that's part of the race. So so don't complain about it. Prepare for it and, and move on because that is what you're there for. Yeah, that's what you signed up for. Yeah. I mean, some of the road liaisons to actually, you know, leave the bivouac and get to the start line, you know, they could be over a, you know, over a hundred kilometers. It's nuts. Yeah, and it was, well, why didn't we have the bivouac closer to the start line? It doesn't matter. That's where the bivouac is. That's where the start line is. And you've got to ride your ass from there to there at 40 miles per hour average. And that's it. And it's freezing cold and, you know, get over it. Yep. And it's, you know, 4 a.m. But, you know, and and that's your start time. If you don't make it to the start line in time, you know, you're going to get another penalty. Or And it was... It was, you know, definitely interesting for me. Um, my ride, it wasn't his first time at the event. So, you know, I did learn a lot from him too. But uh, just, you know, just being another pair of hands uh, on the quad and he would give me his feedback on the quad from the day. We'd have a little bit of a debrief and then he could then, you know, fly off to, to, to go and eat and, you know, go to the hotel or whatever because that was what he wanted to do. And, you know, I would stay and, and, and spend hours with the mechanics, you know, okay, this is what I feel, you know, we should do, whether it's change gearing, change, you know, a shock position or, 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 or anything based on what, what we just did a debrief to try and make the quad as good as we can for the next day. For me, it was, okay, I'm not going to be the one changing an engine, but, uh, you know, I am going to be the guy that's there saying, okay, like, we're going to just lower these tire pressures slightly because of X, Y, and Z. And that's why I was there, really. And, and yeah, I mean, when I was handed Raphael's job to be his mechanic in, in 2009, the resources were, were, I mean, he didn't even bring oil. Really? He didn't bring oil. He didn't bring air filters. I mean, I gave him a list obviously of everything that was supposed to be there. And when I got there and got to the truck, none of it was there. So I had two air filters for the whole 17 day race. So wow. I'm cleaning an air filter every day. 
Yeah. I had to go to Elf to get oil and contact cleaner and coolant every day. And I wasn't signed up for it. So yeah. the guy, you know, giving me a couple of quarts of oil and a, and a bottle, of can, a can of contact cleaner and a thing of coolant and, and just under the sly. And, um, you know, I put the Elf decals on Raphael's bike and he says, why are those there? And I go, because you forgot to get oil. Yeah. I have to go. I have to go kiss that guy's butt to get oil. We're going to run his decal. Yeah. yeah. Why, <laughs> and, why was it just, uh, was it like a packing issue? Like someone just forgot to pack it or. Um, yeah, we'll get into that in a different conversation on a different day. Okay. <laughs> because that's not fair to, Raphael's not here to defend himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> if, if you know Raphael, if you know Raphael, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, it, it, it's one of those crazy races. I mean, you know, we, we had, you know, we had a few issues, um, you know, when we were there and it, and it, it did feel like, not we were making a big deal out of the small things, but you know you did kind of question a few things that that happened, and or why can't we do it like this? And you can always reflect on you know stuff, but at the, at the end of the day, we were there. We were in this position. This was the bike. This was the setup. You know, these were the tires we were using. Whatever. Uh, you know, you just have to um, you know make do because you know the next day, unless you can well source something differently on this roller coaster excuse me, on this roller coaster, that's what you've got and that's what you've got to play with. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was one of my highlights, even though I wasn't on the quad, that was still, you know, one of my highlights of, um, you know, like living it, breathing it, training for it, um, you know, working with riders and, and, you know, trying to figure things out on the, on the fly. You know, you know I, I do enjoy that, you know, legitimately, whether it's day-to-day business or it's, Okay, this has happened to the quad. Let's try and fix it so the guy can get to the line. You know, it was um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, but um, yeah, that that's one of the a st- that's a standout memory for me is uh, is the Dakar. You know, it's a shame we weren't there on the same on in the same year, but it's just one of those. Exactly, exactly. Um, before we wrap this up for today, uh, what's the future hold for Paul Holmes? Um, tough question. I, I'd like to remain, you know, doing something in the sport, whether it's, um, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd ever, you know, just completely walk away from it, whether it's, uh, you know, spend the next couple of years, I see myself racing the next few years, whether it's nationally, um, or, or internationally, I actually had some plans to race overseas this year, which, you know, they took a hit because I can't even fly, you know. So, uh, you know, I actually wanted to do some works races because that's a series that, you know, I think would help me train for the stuff over here with the, the races being a bit longer. It can be a new challenge for me. I've got some really good contacts, you know, like yourself in in, in the U.S., which I want to, you know, get involved and, and try something new, basically. So that was on the cards for this year. But the you know this this COVID thing definitely put a halt on it. So I think uh, if we just almost hit a reset button for 2021, I think I'd like to do some some races internationally. Uh, maybe uh, pick out like Pondevo because that's such a unique event, and we've had a lot of good success there. So uh, and I've got a really good relationship with the team. Um, so I think you know that could be that could be doable. And then you know racing 
just racing, you know, but picking, picking and choosing things. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the UK scene, how the UK scene is going to look. Uh, but if the UK scene isn't what I want to be a part of, then I'll race, uh, you know, I'll race abroad. I'll race in France or I'll race in, uh, in the States and maybe just not be able to do full series, but, you know, one-off events and just pick them as um, things to experience and enjoy and, and hopefully have some success in. Um, you know, I've got a garage full of parts. I've got two amazing ATVs that are just sat there waiting to go. Uh, we've probably like one of the best packages I've ever had and I can't even use it and show it off, you know, to, 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 <laughs> to, to, to a certain extent, but it's, I know it's going to be there, you know, the amount of times I get, you know, like messages on social media, Hey, you know, do you have any quads for sale and stuff like that? And, um, no, <laughs> you know, is, is the answer because it'd be such an easy sell and, and I could put the money towards something else, but no, they're in the garage and, and you know they're going to get used when when i when all this gets lifted but um i think i i think i'll stay in the sport even if i'm not always lining up i think i'll you know i'll enjoy helping a few riders out you know some youth riders and um you know i'm still kind of you know sourcing parts for people so you know over here I, you know i distribute a few products and, and i'm a dealer of a few products and you know i service like pp suspension and because that's like one of the leading companies over here, like suspension wise and PP. I kind of work with those guys and they, um, a lot of people from all over Europe, you know, send me shocks to repair. And, um, you know, I think I've got a pretty good reputation for that. So I think I'll stay in it and, and do that. Um, and then also, you know, keep my, you know, the, the signage company and, and, and just do both. Um, you know, you got to make a living somehow and, and eventually, you know, buy that yacht, um, you know, out in the Mediterranean, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I sure hope that that happens for you and that you that you get that yacht, buddy. I really. Yeah, do. well, you know, it'll be, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a dream, but it's um, it's one of them things, you know, I've always had a good, you know, work ethic or I think I've always had a good work ethic, you know, and um yeah, no, you know, no real, you know, plans to like settle down or anything, you know, you know, no, there's no like wedding on the cards or anything like that. You know, for me now, it's just enjoy working, enjoy racing and, you know, one day, you know, settle down somewhere nice, you know, maybe it's not in the UK or whatever, but um, yeah, do something fun. Well, that's awesome. I yeah. really appreciate you spending your, your afternoon, well, your evening for you with ATV Talk and I hope to have you back in the future. Um, Good luck in 2020, and and if I don't talk to you before 2021, I hope to see you out at the racetrack here in the states at a works race. Yeah, I I hope so too. I mean, you know, those races are picking up. They too, aren't they? You know, the numbers and stuff, and and the competition, and I think it'll be it'll be tough for sure. But I'd uh, no, I look forward to it. You know, so if if it doesn't happen this year, then you know we'll try and make it happen in in 2021. But thanks very much for having me. And, and spending your afternoon also and, and, and what you are putting back into sport is great. You know, I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of other people do. So um, let's, um, yeah. And if anyone's got any questions or whatever, you know, hit me up on, on, on Instagram or, uh, or even. Yeah. How can they find you? Uh, so, uh, so like I'm on Facebook, I don't use it as much, but Paul Holmes and then hash two on Facebook. And then Instagram is uh, Paul underscore Holmes too. So, you know, 
you know, follow me or, you know, send me a message if, if you've got any questions about, you know, riding over here or, or different applications of racing or even, you know, to service your PUP shops. If you're not in the States, then, you know, hit me up at the, um, yeah, I can, I, I'll always answer to people. That's great, Paul. Thank you right, for thank coming you. on ATV Talk and, and we'll, we'll talk soon in the future. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thank you. Have a great night, bud. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.